today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. a moment, get to know one another, dwelling, dwelling, dwelling in unity. And to dwell means to, man, sit down, plop down, take some time, spend life together, share life together as the body of Christ. That's when we're going to see victory in individual lives. That's where we're going to see power within the church when we start encouraging and strengthening one another in Christ. The power of unity strengthens the body of Christ. In today's message, we have the people of God confronted by all the challenges still ahead of them in order for them to enter the promised land. Pastor David will teach us that in a moment of struggle, the best thing we can do is remain united. Isolation is a great weapon from the enemy to keep us powerless and defeated. So many Christians have made it out of Egypt, but then settled in the wilderness. God wants us to keep pressing forward in unity into the promised land. Now here's Pastor David with today's message entitled, Joshua Intro Part 1. God who can make all things work together for good. It's God that we can entrust our messes and find a blessing in the midst of that. This is where we see how how God provides for his own and how the whole of Israel working together in harmony as a great nation works against the enemy. And yet at the same time, they can slip back into selfishness and fear. That's why for us it's so important that we don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. We see when Israel was gathered together, God used them as a mighty force. But when they started separating, becoming so separate and everything, they started getting all kinds of defeats. That's why it's so important, as the word says, man, we come together. We assemble together, exhorting one another and so much more as we see the day approaching. It's from this section, the main body of Joshua, that we're going to see ourselves in the midst of our daily battles. I think every one of us today, we can say, have you had a battle today? You might say, how many, Pastor, and what hour? We've had battles. We go through battles. Some days are worse than others. Some days you feel like you have been on the front line from the time your feet hit the floor to the time your head hits the pillow. It just seems like you're on the front lines. There's other days that, man, the enemy just comes and it's like guerrilla warfare. Everything seems to be going fine. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, an attack comes. I want to tell you this evening that as we look through the book of Joshua, one of the other things that we're going to see here is that he who promised is faithful. 
And as he promised the children of Israel, I'm going to go before you and I'm going to defeat the enemy before you. And I've got a land that I'm giving you, that he is faithful who promised that. And we can walk in that promise. Part three, the last portion of the book of Joshua, is the last couple of chapters, chapter 23 and 24. And here we find the nation, 12 distinct separate tribes living as one at least for a season. Then during the time of the judges, the tribes seem to act and and respond separately, but that's beyond Joshua. It's when they start falling apart that, again, more problems come, and they live in apart as separate tribes until the time of Samuel the prophet comes, and he kind of draws them back together again. Factions, divisions within the nation of Israel, within the people that God called together. Does that happen in the church? Praise God, not anymore, right? We've all matured. I mean, after all, we're believers 10 years and beyond. We don't have factions. But there is still factions. That's why the Apostle Paul told the church in Corinth, he said, now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Why is that so important, that the church of Christ be together? Because the enemy is prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking who he can devour. And most of you, you've seen the National Geographic movies of, you know, the poor little uh, gazelle, you know, he's out wandering and he's over here and, uh, oh, that looks pretty good. The crowd's over here, but he sees something really nice over here. And so he kind of wanders over there and bam, the lion nails him. Why? Because he got away from the crowd. He got away from the group where the strength is for you and I. You're struggling in your life. One of the greatest, man, tools of the enemy is to say, man, I don't want to go there anymore. I don't want to go to church anymore. I'm so embarrassed. I've failed so miserably. I've, I've done something that's so embarrassing. I don't want to go there. You know what? You set yourself up for another fall. You set yourself up for continual struggling and stumbling. That's why I say, man, when you fall, and we all fall at times, when you fall, fall forward. Fall into the arms of Christ. Fall into the fellowship of brothers and sisters in Christ. And if anybody in this fellowship, this is just for you guys, if anybody in this fellowship gives you a hard time about it and doesn't come and start strengthening and encouraging you, let me know, okay? Because they're the ones that have the problem. They're the ones that have the problem. We need to be encouragers to each other. For too long... The church has been, you've heard the saying, they're the only army in the world that shoots its wounded. You know, for way too long the church has been that way. We are called to be together. Paul shared a similar concern with the church at Philippi. He says, if there's any consolation in Christ, if there's any comfort of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy fulfill my joy by being like-minded, By having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, 
Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. And when we see Israel as a nation working together, God is able to work and move in them. But when they divided apart, and this tribe went over here and they did this, this tribe goes over here and they did that, that's when they started having more and more problems. And then when they were called together as a nation, God moved and worked in their lives. And it's the same way with the church today. Together, in one heart, one mind, one spirit, we are a mighty force for Christ in this community and, yes, even in our nation. We can do We can move. We can show the might and the power of God through the lives that we live and through the strength that we have with one another. Years after the establishment of the nation of Israel, they had already been there. Saul had been a king, and now David was a king. David wrote these words. He says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. To dwell together in unity. Remember when I used to give you such a hard time about learning each other's names? Finding out who each other is? Just so that you can come together. So that you get to know each other. Don't stop that. Don't stop that. You see somebody you don't know. Take more than a moment of, Hi, I'm David. You're Bill. That's it. Take a moment. Get to know one another. Dwelling. Dwelling dwelling in unity and to dwell means to man sit down plop down take some time spend life together share life together as the body of christ that's when we're going to see victory in individual lives that's we're going to see power within the church when we start encouraging and strengthening one another in christ but for now as we look at the book of joshua The end of it, they end pretty much in peace and calmness. When we look at the final words and the warnings of Joshua to the people and the people's covenant agreement with Joshua and with the Lord, it's an agreement to be obedient to what the Lord had laid before them. We also understand that, again, at the end of this book, the end of Joshua's life, the journey of the people of Israel is really only just beginning. I mean, this is a baby stage. This is a toddler stage at this point in time. It's just beginning. It's from this portion of the book that we come to see that, again, there's going to be these times of great peace and great joy in service to the Master, but it's also going to be a time of warning to not allow ourselves to be lured into being asleep and to be caught off guard because our battle as believers, our walk in Christ, remains as long as each one of us is on this earth. I shared with you in the past that it goes along with this, but through the years, as I've seen... uh what's a uh, non-tacky way, senior members of the body of Christ, uh, extremely senior members of the body of Christ, guys who, you know, many years beyond me in knowing the Lord. And I asked them, I said, does the battle get any easier? And almost to a man, every time I ask that, no, it doesn't. Because the enemy's always there. The enemy is always there trying to trip up. 
And what better way for the enemy to destroy a life than to destroy it at the last lap? That you don't finish well. You've done everything well up until. What is the heritage of that? What is the memory of that for generations yet to come? Oh, all but that last. They'll forget everything else, but that last portion is what they remember. We see that our battle keeps going. Our battle remains. That's why, again, Peter tells us, be sober, be vigilant. Again, because that adversary, our devil, he roams around like that roaring lion. As we get into the study, one of the foremost, one of the main things I want each of us to understand from the study is that God doesn't call any of his children out of Egypt to leave them in the wilderness. His desire is for each of us, each of us as we, and you do understand, hopefully, let me back up and get really elementary here in the understanding of the metaphor here of what we see of the reality of Israel. Israel and their release from the bondage of Egypt, they're wandering in the wilderness, they're coming into the promised land. Those are real, those are true. There was a real people that were under bondage in Egypt for the 400 years. There was a real people that went in the wilderness wanderings for 40 years, a whole generation past because of their non-belief in the greatness of their God. Because they did not believe in the greatness of their God, for 40 years they wandered in the wilderness until they finally came into that promised land. And we look at that and we see from that a picture in our own spiritual life. Every one of us, prior to coming to Christ, we were under the bondage We were under the bondage like in the bondage of Egypt. We were not our own. We were not able to live on our own. People say, hey, I'm my own man. No, you're not. You're being led around by the will and by the power of Satan himself until you come to Christ, until freedom is yours. In Christ, we are delivered. And that's we we see the whole night, that first night of Passover and the deliverance and all of that. We won't go into that. But it brings in that freedom, no longer under bondage. And you know what God's design and plan was for the children of Egypt? God's plan and design was get out of Egypt and get into the promised land. Get out of there, get into there. That's what his plan was. Why didn't they do that? Because of their disobedience, because of their lack of understanding of the greatness of their God, because of their fear. They had already seen God defeat Pharaoh and his army. They had seen God part the Red Sea. They had seen God do miraculous things, and yet they were fearful to press on. And in the same way in our spiritual lives, I know I said it earlier, I want to say it again, because this is what I want you to really glean from this. People get saved out of Egypt, and they stay in the wilderness, never have any power, never having any peace, never having any comfort, never having really any victories in their life. They're just wandering around in the desert when God all the time says, I didn't call you out of Egypt for you to stay in the desert. As he comes into our life, as he takes us out of Egypt, as he brings us through that wilderness to bring us into that promised land, his desire is for us to see again, the sweetness of all that he has promised. And you need to understand, the promised land is not heaven. Okay, It's not a metaphor for heaven. 
It's the reality of you and I walking on this terra firma in a spirit-filled life, that the Spirit of God is leading us and directing us. We know that the promised land isn't heaven because once we get to heaven, there won't be any more battles. But in the physical promised land in Canaan, yeah, as as well as in the believer's spirit-filled life, we continue to see struggles. We continue to see battles. It's when we walk in that full obedience to the Spirit in our life that we find the greatest of all victories in our life. And it's also the only true confirmation that we have that we are believers. That's the only true confirmation that you have, that you are a believer, is when you walk in obedience. Listen to what the Apostle Paul told us in Romans 8. He says, if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So it's when I am in agreement with the work of the Holy Spirit, man, that's what brings confirmation in my life, that I am a believer. My confirmation is not the fact that back in 1970, I think it was, Yeah, 1970, spring of that year, there was a James Robinson crusade at the Veterans Memorial Coliseum up in Phoenix. And I prayed one evening during that crusade to receive Christ into my life. I remember speaking to the guy, uh, led me in the sinner's prayer. I received Christ into my life. But you know what? That's not the confirmation of my salvation. The confirmation of my salvation is that the Spirit of God is continually working in me. Now... I say that, and then I have to say, but am I always obedient to that spirit? I wish I could say yes, but I'd be lying, and that wouldn't be obedient. So, no, I'm not. But it is the Spirit of God working in me. And I hope you see, I hope you realize what I said there. The only true confirmation we have as believers that we are truly born again into the kingdom of God is when we find ourselves walking in obedience to the Spirit of God, working, moving, and drawing us in our lives. And those aren't my words. They're not even just the words of the Apostle Paul, although that ought to be sufficient for all of us to warrant our attention and our obedience. These are the very words of Jesus himself. All through the gospel records, we find Jesus calling people to follow him. To follow him in obedience. Matthew 7.21 Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Luke 6.46 Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do the things which I say? Jesus' call for a believer is to live a life of self-denial and self-sacrifice. How much of that is in your personal 
vocabulary. And not just in saying it, but in the reality of doing it. How much do you see in your life of self-sacrifice and self-denial? Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whosoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? The call of every believer is the call of obedience and the call of a spirit-filled life. Not to live in the wilderness, but to press on in Christ, to grow in Christ, to mature in Christ, not just to get old as a Christian. There's a world of difference between maturity and just getting old. On Tuesday morning, the men, or men's breakfast, we've been doing a study on the obedience of a Christian life. And, well, it's been really pointed for those of us that have been there. You know, it's just Vic does a real good job at uh, kind of laying things right out there and getting our attention on it. This last week, he was primarily zeroing in on the book of James in chapter 2. And in chapter 2, James writes these words. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says that he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? Now, that's a tricky question. If you really stop and think about it, you say, yeah, well, of course. For by grace you are saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We are saved by faith. But James asked this very pointed question. Can just faith save you? Well, listen to what he says. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to him, Depart in peace, be warned, be filled. But you do not give him the things which are needed for his body. What does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is sick. No, that's not what it says. It's dead. Dead faith, not living faith. He goes on in verse 18, he says, but someone will say, well, you have faith and I have works. You show me your faith without your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. And then he really gets to the deal in verse 19. You believe that there is one God? Ooh, you're doing really nice. But you got to understand, even the demons believe and they tremble. I believe in Jesus. I just don't let it impact my life. I believe in Jesus. But I still like, you know, having fun with the guys going out and doing this. Oh, I believe in Jesus. But there's absolutely no relationship there. That's what James is saying. Is that as a believer... There needs to be a difference in our life. Otherwise, we're lying to ourselves. To say, yes, I am a Christian? Really? Is there something going on between you and Jesus? Is there a relationship that's going on there?
one of the mightiest warriors in the entire Bible was Joshua. God used Joshua to conquer many of the pagan nations surrounding God's people. From spying out the land God had promised his people, to Joshua's encounter with the angel of the Lord, this book will surely be an encouragement. Join us as David teaches through Joshua verse by verse. You can get a free copy of today's teaching at our website. Simply log on to TheOpenWord.com. That's TheOpenWord.com. Although The Open Word is a huge blessing, we pray that it's not your only source for the teaching of the Word of God. It's our hope that you're attending a church that teaches God's Word from beginning to end. Here's Tracy with more information about our service times here at Calvary Chapel, Casa Grande. Maybe you're listening right now in Casa Grande and you don't have a home church. We want to take this time to invite you to join us for worship. We meet Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. at 6.30 p.m. every Wednesday and Saturday. For more information, call us at 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Or log on to TheOpenWord.com and follow the link to the church website. Thanks, Tracy. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Please join us next time for the next edition of The Open Word.